Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Can you imagine what it would be like if there wasn't love? Can you picture what life would become? Without love, there'd be no compassion, no comfort, no peace. Without love, there'd be no caring, no giving, no kindness. Without love, we would be consumed by selfishness and filled with arrogance. Without love, grace would have never been offered. Mercy would have been unimaginable. When you add love to the equation, everything changes. Love is patient, love is kind, not envious or prideful. Love puts others before ourselves, chooses peace over anger. Love protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Love changes everything. Love is indeed very important in every aspect of a Christian life. Brethren, today I want to address a somewhat related topic. A number of people think about receiving the Holy Spirit in a way that resemble more, resembles more like a personal empowerment, something that God gives them to endow them personally with specific power and specific abilities. Well, as we will see, of course, God is a powerful God, and the Holy Spirit is God and is also very, very powerful. But when we look at it with, with that from that perspective, when that happens, a self-centered attitude may be formed in the heart of the individual. And, and that would be quite contrary to the Lord's commandment to love one another, to love each other the way that He has loved us. Now that is a problem that it, the, the New Testament talks about. It was a problem very similar to that in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, where the Christians would, in a way, compare themselves to the others to, who had the greater and the most important gifts. It was a problem in Samaria, where Simon the magician attempted to buy that power with money. And it is in that context, in fact, in the context of the events that occurred in Samaria, um, just a, around the time when Simon the magician tried to buy the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit with money, it is in that context that God demonstrated that the giving of the Holy Spirit is not independent from the church. And it is not for personal gain or personal power either. So, you might wonder, why address this topic? Well, there are more than one reasons. First of all, it is in the Bible, and we want to address the entire counsel of the Bible. 
but also out of concern, concern for people who may inadvertently be encouraged to engage in, in external acts in order to gain that power that is so craved in certain circles. An attitude, as I mentioned a moment ago, that is similar to what Simon the Magician had, for example, who was motivated entirely by selfish motives. But we find the passage, the, the key passage for today, in the book of Acts, chapter 8 and verses 14 to 17. This is just after Simon the Magician has been introduced, brought into the scene, and, and begins to desire those gifts. But notice what he says that it happened. Acts 8, 14 to 17. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent him Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now there was a, a great deal of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. We, we talked about that in the past, but it's good to remember that. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans because they were not pure Jews. In fact, they used to call the Samaritans dogs in a disprejudice sense. The Samaritans, of course, resented the Jews for their arrogance. And so the two groups would not get along with each other. They, I think it's safe to say they hated each other. But notice what happens here in Samaria. Verse 14, let's review that. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. So what happened in Samaria is that Philip had gone to Samaria and had shared the gospel, had preached the gospel, and the Samaritans believed the gospel. They accepted the good news of the gospel and they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And now, news of that had reached Jerusalem. Now, the Jewish apostles were still unsure whether the Gentiles non-Jews, or the Samaritans, who were half-Jews actually, could be converted and receive the Holy Spirit. Now in, in verse 14 we find an irony here, which I think is interesting to notice. Notice that Peter and John were sent to Samaria. Now John was the one who had asked previously had asked Jesus to send fire from heaven to burn a Samaritan village because they were not listening to them. And now John was the one that was sent with Peter to Samaria to validate what God was doing among the Samaritans. Verses 15 and 16. Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, normally, a believer receives the Holy Spirit at conversion and baptism. But this was a special event. 
it needed to be a sign both for the Jews as well as for the Samaritans. And it was evident, at that time it was quite evident, that the Lord was working with the Samaritans through Philip's preaching. And so no one could deny that. But there is one thing here that we need to notice. The participation of the Samaritans in the life of the church was needed for the full expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But it's important to notice here that no, no one despised what the Samaritans were called to contribute to the life of the church, to the body of Christ. Now there was a delay, as you can see in these verses. And many scholars have wondered why this delay. And I think there was a purpose in the delay. And the purpose included the need to authenticate Philip's ministry to the apostles from Jerusalem. And Peter and John were representatives of the apostles from Jerusalem. But also the need to confirm Philip's ministry to the Samaritans as well. So both the apostles in Jerusalem as well as the Samaritans needed that confirmation. But most importantly, I think that the purpose for the delay was to prevent a split in the church that may have been caused by the division and the resentment that was present for a very long time, centuries in fact, between the Jews and the Samaritans. And that brings our attention to the importance of the church and to the importance of the unity of the church and how the Holy Spirit works toward that unity and toward the gifting of the church for the benefit of the entire body. So we see here that this was an important transitional moment. The confirmation of the apostles was necessary to attest to God's inclusion of a new group into the church. To maintain a united church and the concept of one body, it was important for the Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit in the presence of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. The delay also revealed the need for the Samaritans to come under the authority of the apostles. And so you see here the body of Christ working together and working for the edification of the entire body. Now notice, nowhere here we see any ground to regard the Holy Spirit as a personal or individual empowerment with a special gift of ability. Yes, the Holy Spirit imparts gifts, truly, and imparts abilities to individuals in the church, but not as a, a personal individual empowerment, not as a way to maybe even, I could say, be proud of what the Lord has given us the ability to do. It was a matter of community pertaining to the entire body of Christ because the gifts that God gives us, it, it begins to be evident in here are not just for the individual, they are for the church. They are to be used for the edification of the church. They are to be used as an act of love, as an act of giving, supplying what the gift produces to the entire body, to the, to the church. Let's look at verse 17 now. They, meaning the apostles, began laying their hands on the Samaritan 
converts um, on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So that was a very important moment. It established the unity of the church. And once again, it demonstrated that the Holy Spirit works in the entire body for the edification of a body and not for the pride of any single individual. Now, some scholars have looked at this event and called it a second Pentecost because of the similarities that it has with the original Pentecost in Jerusalem. But whatever the case may be, there seemed to be consensus and agreement among the scholars that this event was needed to establish the unity of the church. The laying on of the hands is talked about in here. It reflected an Old Testament practice that was used to impart blessings in prayer. The receiving of the Holy Spirit then is indeed a great blessing, but not because of the, power, of the power that it may give to an individual, but because of the opportunity that it gives us to enter into a community with God, or better yet, a communion with God, and be part of His work in the community of faith. Let's go back, however, to verse 16 for a moment, because I would like to share with you a particular phrase. In fact, the the, the, the phrase is, in the name of the Lord Jesus. That phrase at the end of verse 16, literally in the Greek, is into the name of the Lord Jesus. It uses a language of ancient business documents. And, and why is that meaningful? Here's the reason. Because the, the meaning of that phrase in that business type of language would be that the converts have transferred ownership of their lives to Christ. I, I want to say that again. When we become Christians, we transferred ownership of our lives to Jesus Christ. Notice that carefully. Why is that? Because it is not the Holy Spirit being owned and controlled by the believer to exercise some sort of power. It is the believer who gives him or herself entirely to the Lord to be guided by the Holy Spirit because we belong to Him. And that's quite different. And as we belong to Him and God is love, then we are called to to exercise and to use everything that the Lord gives us, everything and anything, as an act of love toward others, a giving of ourselves for the benefit of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit works through the Word of God to, brings us to, a, to bring us to a close relationship with Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ with the Father. It is a relational matter. It's a matter of communion. It's a matter of participation. We are granted to have communion with God and through that communion with one another as we are called to participate in the work of God, in the work that God Himself is conducting all around the world. It's such a privilege to be granted the, the opportunity by God to participate in what He does. 
But I would like to share with you, to complete this thought, a couple of other passages. First of all, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4, which reads as follows. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, for by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Notice what Peter is stating in here. The power of God, of course, is mentioned in here, but is mentioned in reference to our communion with God and His glory and excellence, not ours. It does mention that we become partakers of the God's divine nature. And God's divine nature, as we know, is a nature of love, for God is love. And in addition to that, it tells us that that happens as we escape the corruption of lust. And so here we have the two concepts, love, which is a giving of oneself for the benefit of a beloved, and the concept of lust, which is a desire to take from others in order to fulfill some desire of ours. And we see that God has called us for the first, to express His love toward one another. Because that we are partakers of His nature, which is a nature of love. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13 also helps us to understand the concept that God is sharing with us. It reads as follows, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of a stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now notice that here in, we're told that the Holy Spirit works in us and through us for the unity of the faith, toward the knowledge of Christ, to our growth, to maturity in Christ, and not on our own. And once again, it makes it a matter that involves the whole body of Christ, not just what we individually can or cannot do, but how we contribute to the growth and to the maturity of the body of Christ. So the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ and personally binds us to Him in oneness, teaching us, leading us, convicting us, comforting us, but all in Christ. And brethren, it's important because who more than the Son of God, Jesus Christ Himself, has demonstrated the expression of the love of God, and that God is truly and indeed love. And so, as we, as disciples of Jesus, follow Him, we, we should not neglect to look at Jesus' example. We're drawn to Jesus and mature to be more and more like Him every day. But notice that Jesus never once used His power to serve Himself. Not a single miracle that He performed was to serve Himself or to help Himself. His power over creation was never regarded by Him as a personal power 
to show himself off and to look important or powerful to others like Simon the Magician wanted to do. Instead, we see that Jesus Christ uses indeed his divine power because he is fully God and he uses the power of God but only to fulfill the will and the work of the Father and for the benefit of others and therefore is an act of love and that we may come to know Messiah also an act of love leading us to salvation. So as you can see as his disciples, as his followers, shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't we use whatever God imparts to us, whatever God gives us with, shouldn't we use it to fulfill the will and the work of the Father and to benefit our brothers and sisters in Christ, including those who may not know that they are saved in Christ? So brethren, it is not wrong to desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we should desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we should desire them in order to serve, not to be proud or boast in what we may be able to do. So brethren, let us seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but let us seek them to serve the body of Christ, to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, to be instruments participating in the very work of God. And that is an amazing and awesome blessing and privilege to be able to be part of. God bless you. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your names, you will lead me and guide me. For you are my strength. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. May the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord and Shepherd, equip you in everything to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the transforming work of your Holy Spirit, that we may love you and magnify your holy name, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.